This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've recently been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm your co-host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, founder of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small, and our team of experts show you how to consume and shop responsibly by recommending world-changing products, brands, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the world-changing goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by PodPronto, our podcast editing service. If you're looking for friendly, fast, and efficient podcast editing, you should check out PodPronto.com. So at the time of this episode's release, it's January. For most of the world, that equals freezing weather and cold temperatures for the next few months. If you're like me, when it starts to get chilly, you reach into your closet to find the warmest thing possible, right? Well, have you ever thought about how your outerwear choice can affect climate change? Wait, what? Are you lost? (laughs) Stay with me because we've got a fascinating episode coming up. Lisa and I invited Eric Dayton, the CEO of Askoff Finlayson, to chat with us about how innovations in textiles are leading to climate-positive outerwear and how our habits around buying new jackets every season and I might be looking at you, are damaging to the environment around us. We even talk about the trendy Amazon coat, plus how adopting a gearhead mentality for all things in life can actually be a positive thing. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to ask, whether you're a new fan of Good Together or you've been listening for a while, we are absolutely thrilled that you're here. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you like what we're up to, and don't forget to ask questions and share feedback on Instagram by following us at brightly.eco and using the hashtag goodtogetherpodcast. All right, let's get started. Okay, hey, Eric, welcome to Good Together. We're so excited to have you. Thanks, Laura. It's great to be here. Super excited to uh, have you with us, Eric. I-, I know when Laura first told me about your company and I saw the parka, I was like, yes, yes, let's do the interview tomorrow. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, it's great to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. we're, we're very excited to talk all things climate positive outerwear today. And I think, you know, for, for Lisa and I, this is a really, int- I mean, I think this is going to be an interesting episode for anyone because we all need a jacket for the winter. Um, But I think there's been a lot of chatter recently about, um, you know, innovations in textiles, innovations um, from companies that are B Corps that are really interested in providing more climate positive solutions. Um, So Eric, I wonder if you could um, just introduce yourself and give us a little bit of information about your company. 
Sure. Well, as you said, we're, we're a climate positive outdoor apparel company. We, we specialize in winter parkas. We're based here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where, where the need for good winter outerwear is, uh, is uh, a very real thing. Um, and we try to offer, in addition to our, our climate positive you know, model with, with um, the environment in mind, we also try to offer a really great value by bypassing the retail markup and offering our products directly to the consumer through uh, e-commerce. And then we have a, a flagship uh, store here in in our neighborhood of Minneapolis. So um, that's who we are. That's awesome. <laughs> I was very impressed with your mission statement. Uh, I was just reading it last night. Uh, can you tell me a, a bit more about you know climate positive? But I think you are, guys also offset carbon emissions. So there is a lot of layers of like doing good with your business model. Yeah, you know, we, we try to keep it pretty simple. I mean, this was an idea that that evolved over the past few years. Um, we started making our own products in uh, in 2013, and as we started to experience some success, especially around uh, products that were of this place, which we like to call the North of, of the United States, um, we wanted to think about how we could harness that momentum for good. And so we began a program that we called in, in 2015, Keep the North Cold. And we began a giving program. We had a nonprofit partner. We felt really good about that. And we were definitely having a positive impact. But we really wanted to challenge ourselves to think about were we actually keeping the North cold on a on a net basis, if you really did the math. And it, it caused us to do a, a pretty thorough self-audit. And we took the intention of, of the giving program in the beginning uh, and this idea of keep the North cold, really, which we saw as a promise we were making to our customers. And we wanted to really be able to back that up and show our math in a, in a transparent way and hold ourselves accountable to our customers and also to the planet. And so what, you know, what the program evolved into is, is every year doing a, a carbon footprint self audit, doing everything that we can to reduce our, our negative impact through our, our operations as a business. And then, but then quantifying that impact and, and turning it into a 110% net positive uh, financial commitment to organizations that are leaving, uh, that are leading solutions to the climate crisis. So it's really, you know, at its, at its most simple, it's a self-imposed carbon tax. And it's a way that we can you know, hold ourselves accountable and, and be able to stand behind the promise to our customers that we're actually contributing on a net basis to the solution rather than, you know, being part of the problem. And I had a question. So what what would you say is the number one offender um, in your business right now as it relates to carbon emissions? Like where have you guys tried to focus? I mean, I know it sounds like there's quite a few areas, but what's like maybe the top area? Well, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples of, of what we've done. One was just in our in our you know operations here in Minneapolis, we've switched to 100% sustainable power for all of our our offices and our, our operations here as a business at our headquarters. So that now comes from uh, wind energy. Um, actually all, all, all produced here in Minnesota. Um, and then, you know, the, the other big area of focus has been our supply chain and especially materials. So we looked at some of the products we were already making and how could we, how could we switch over to the most um, low impact uh, materials possible? So we switched some products to recycled materials that previously hadn't been, you know, had been made from, uh, you know, like a, a, a virgin acrylic now is made from a hundred percent recycled material. If you look at our, uh, our winter North hats. Um, but then when we introduced this parka this past year, it gave us a chance to really start from scratch on a new product and how could we embed, you know, all of the best decisions with climate impact in mind into the materials, 
the manufacturing, the partners we were working with. And so if you look at the, the parka we make, it's 100% recycled outer material. It's 100% blue sign certified lining, which will become 100% recycled next year. We found the fabric to be able to achieve that. And then the thing I'm probably most proud of was a material, really an innovation that we were able to achieve uh, through a partnership with 3M, which is a company based here in Minnesota. And it's the first time ever that they've offered 100% recycled featherless down insulation. Um, and so, you know, to, to have a, a real material innovation um, in, in terms of sustainability and 100% recycled in our first year was an accomplishment we were pretty proud of. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And I, I didn't know that 3M was based out there. So that, that's good to know. And I know in the past, they've been major innovators um, in various sort of, um, you know, chemical engineering, things like that. Um, but I, one of the things that you mentioned that I want to kind of dive into is talking about the materials specifically that make up the, the parka. And one question that we get often on Brightly is around, um, you know, the usage of animal-based materials. So oftentimes for parkas, this equates to feather feathers um, being used in down. And so I wondered if you could speak a little bit to um, why you guys chose to not go the feather route um, and maybe what, what your point of view is on that. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, there's sort of two parts to this one. There's, I think the ethical question, which you've raised, which, you know, it, it relates to the insulation choice. Do you use, you know, a feathered down insulation versus a, a featherless, which we've chosen to, to go with. There's also uh, a number of companies that use fur roughs. Uh, we've also chosen not to use fur in our materials. And that, that very much is an ethical uh, choice for us. And I would say on the, the down, it's a combination of the two, you know, there's, there's the ethical uh, impact of, 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 how those feathers are sourced. Um, but also for us, it was really just actually a performance question. So when we began our research on this product, we went to the person who I know that knows more about um, winter outerwear and, and surviving and thriving in, in, in harsh winter conditions. And uh, his name is Will Steger. He's a legendary uh, Arctic and Antarctic explorer uh, based here in Minnesota, someone I've known many years. Uh, he led the first confirmed dog sled expedition to the North Pole, the first uh, crossing of Antarctica. So just really uh, in the all-time uh, sort of uh, top echelons of exploration. And so we went up to his homestead in, in northern Minnesota and went through his expedition archives and went through all of his gear. And he'd actually always used um, 3M you know, synthetic insulation in his parkas. And back then, of course, it wasn't available 100% recycled. That's new to us this year, but he'd always chosen not to go with down. So we asked him why that was. And he felt that the, you know, the risk of down, especially when you're in those type of conditions and environments, is that as soon as it gets wet, it loses its loft and it, it, it stops being as warm. And so for him, it was very much just a performance question that he, he felt that um, synthetic insulation was every bit as warm and actually was more versatile and served his needs better. And so that's really where we went down the path of, of, of making that choice based on just our research of what performs the best. So I have a follow-up question on that. So you definitely did a very heavy research-based approach uh, creating this park and your products. But in general, how come consumers, what they should be thinking about when buying outerwear, right? It's, it's a big investment piece, a big ticket item for most consumers. Ideally, we want to have... Uh, 
you know, have this piece last us for many years to come. Um, some of the things that I, I found, and of course, um, and we've mentioned, we, we've been mentioning on the podcast for quite a while, the 30 wear rule of, I think, hopefully with auto wear piece like a parka, it should be like 130 wear rules, if not more. Um, but yeah, so what are some key questions that consumers should be asking and um, uh, looking for when buying the outerwear? Well, I think I think to your point, it is it is an investment piece, and it's it's almost you know it's a category that I think of, and I've actually done a, a good amount of expedition travel, including a, an expedition across the Canadian Arctic with with Will Steger, and so I've, I you know I, I draw on my own personal experience uh, when I think about this category, but. For me, it's it's certainly not a fashion category in my mind. It's almost not even an apparel category. It's really an equipment category. I mean, this is a this you're you're purchasing gear, and so you think about you know thirty wares. I mean, I'll I'll get thirty wares out of my parka this month alone. I mean, we, I, you know, you're in Minnesota. It's it's December. You're wearing it every single day, and so you know, I think it is worth making an investment. We feel that there's an opportunity to offer customers a, a higher quality for and a higher value for the price than currently exists through retail channels. You know, this has been for a lot of customers, I think to, to access really high quality winter outer, outerwear was sort of a a luxury purchase it became it become a luxury category and i don't think it needs to be that way but it's you know it's still not inexpensive to buy a, a high quality uh, piece of gear now you're going to use it a lot so hopefully you'll you'll get some value out of that and so i think you need to look at it a couple of ways one is it designed and and you know manufactured constructed to last will it hold up over many wares but then you think about longevity in terms of design also in terms of the aesthetic of it is is, is this a, a sort of a trendy fashion piece that you're going to feel good wearing one year but then you maybe you're going to feel silly the next year i know we're going to talk about the amazon coat but i think that's a prime example of something that was kind of obsolete by design in terms of its aesthetic appearance and if you're not going to be excited to wear it the following year then i don't care how little you paid for it, you didn't really get your money's worth. And, and not to mention, and probably more importantly, the impact on the environment of, of all the resources that went into producing that just so it can end up in you know, a landfill. So how would I know if the uh, if the parka or outerwear is constructed to last? Do I look for some uh, specific textile, materials, names, um, the feel of the piece? How does that work? Well, what we offer is is uh, what we call a one winter guarantee. So mm -hmm. I think you know people, uh, you know people, you know are, are maybe looking for different, um, you know, features or you know, trying to inform their decision. But ultimately, you know, whether it performs or not is the ultimate question. And so we offer people, uh, you know, the chance to wear it for a winter. And if it's not, you know, if it doesn't live up to their quality expectations, if it doesn't keep them as warm as they thought it would. We'll happily take it back. Now, luckily, that hasn't been hasn't been an issue thus far, and we've you know primarily had people very happy with their purchase. But we want to stand behind it because ultimately, that's that's the, the the real question is does it does it perform at the level that you were that you were hoping? And you know, there's really only one way to find out. Yeah, that's a great value prop. Do you know any other brands who do something like that? Because you know, like companies like mattress companies, sheets companies, I've heard do like you know. 30 night sleep trial, but I've never heard of a one year guarantee. Well, we, you know, I, I'm not aware of anyone else doing it in, 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 you know, outerwear in, in our, in our category, but um, you know, for us, especially being a relatively new company and, and not giving customers 
unless they're here in Minneapolis, the opportunity to touch and feel and try it on in person. We wanted to try to take some of the risk out of it, but also really, you know, stand behind the quality because we have a lot of confidence in it, but we want, we want to inspire that confidence in our customers as well. Yeah. One thing I wanted to touch on was around the concepts. You mentioned, of course, the Amazon coat. Um, and I think there's been a classic sort of tension with consumers between wanting to treat outerwear as a fashion piece versus as a piece of gear. And so I really like that you, you put it in that, um, in that, I don't just, just eloquently said it that way, because I do think um, my back many years ago, I had a roommate, she and I had this joke where we would just go crazy for buying cute outerwear pieces. Now they weren't necessarily performance-based. They were a bit more like wool and fashion perspective, but I want to kind of talk a little bit about the Amazon coat because it's something that um, I, so I don't know if you know, Eric, I used to work at Amazon in fashion um, and I actually used to work, um, you know, to recommend things to people. And I remember we would have people asking us about the most quality pieces of outerwear or really other pieces of fashion on site. And Amazon is is very much a nightmare to shop from in many ways, especially the searching way. Um, so we were constantly at this, um, you know, we had to throw our hands up and say, like, how do we, how do we as Amazon um, evaluate things? But specifically the Amazon coat, um, if you're not, fi- listeners, if you're not familiar with this, it is a coat that basically went viral last year. Um, well, at least it, it, the, the virality started last year. I think it's been around for many years. Yeah, two years. Um, and I it's under, I believe it's under a hundred dollars. I think it's $89.99. Um oh really? I think it's kind of I mean, you know, things are go up and down there, but yeah, it's very cheap um for outerwear and it is made in China. Um it is made a lot of a lot of duck uh duck feathers, duck um, you know, filling, um, and it's made in China. Um and so I think we can probably draw some conclusions there um, around the supply chain and the ethics. Um, but I wondered, um, you know, Eric, if you if you've been following that story, um, and if you if you had thoughts there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I you know I followed it when it when it sort of uh, you know I, I followed the rise of that code, and now it, it you know I've sort of followed maybe a little bit of the fall of that code, and that to me is really the part that makes me sad is, you know, I was reading this article in the New York Times about all of these people who'd bought that coat and worn it for one year and now it was sitting in their closet and they felt like the moment had passed and it was sort of, you know, the coat was over as this sort of, you know, flash in the pan trend. And, you know, I don't know anything about the supply chain that went into making that jacket. Now the, the, the cost of it and especially the cost through a retail channel, then, you know, the cost that went into making it has to be even lower. Um, you know, it, it does, it, it makes me, uh, I, I imagine you would have to cut a number of corners to, to achieve that um, low, low cost. And I don't, you know, again, I don't know the details, but it, it does make me suspicious. But whatever the process of making that jacket was, it's now also that it could be worn for, you know, a handful of times and is now either going to languish in someone's closet and they're going to buy something new and, and then that is more resources expended. And, and likely it's going to end up in a landfill somewhere. And, and that's, that, that cycle is, is, is a big part of the reason we're in the situation we're in when it comes to the environment and specifically the climate. And we've got to, we've got to figure out how to break that cycle. 
So I'm curious, we, we are talking about the New York Times article on Amazon code that's from this year, and uh, we'll share it in the show notes. But um, so Eric, how do you see yourself as the, the leader, uh, you know, of, of the more ethical, sustainable brand? How um, you think about kind of going against those trendiness uh, around this like crazy excitement there was an um, like uh, an instagram account that was created just for the amazon code obviously there's a lot of fashionistas and again we're not trying to guilt anyone but so how do we as people trying to be more conscious with our purchases how do we go against this need for tr uh, buying trendy pieces and being fashionable and up updating our wardrobe all the time uh, whether or not accessory fashion or outerwear well, I mean, I think that's a, that's a choice for each each consumer to make whether they whether they need to follow those trends. Um, you know, I think for for people that do want to maybe rotate their wardrobe more often, you know, there there are now you know rental services for that type of thing. There's you know buying vintage, but you know, I, I would sort of separate what I consider more sort of fashion categories from at least for what in my mind is is you know a, a good winter coat. In, in a cold weather climate is not a want, it's a need. It's something that you, you need to be outside and to be active and to be comfortable. And so I think that is something that's, that's worth investing in. But then, you know, buying something that, as I said, is going to last in terms of the durability of its construction, um, but also that, that is, that is going to, you're going to be excited to wear five, 10 years from now, it's not going to have gone out of style. And I, I think it's not to say that there's a choice between, you know, things that look good or, you know, things that are, that, are, that perform, you know, we like to think that what we make looks good as well. You're not going to look like you're, you know, about to climb Mount Everest. So there's maybe in the past, maybe been a bit of a false choice between sort of technical function and fashion. And I think you, we can hopefully give people, you know, both of what they're looking for and, and at a price that's accessible while still knowing that we stand behind all the decisions that went into the making of the product. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to touch on as well was talking a little bit about um, prolonging the life of your outerwear. So I know that um, you know your products are designed to withstand many winters, um, and I wonder if we could talk a little bit about um, different tips we might have for consumers who have invested into a quality piece of outerwear. So like one tip that I can share is um, I invested in, back when I used to live in Seattle, I needed a very heavy duty raincoat. Um, and I looked all over and actually ended up finding something from a brand called Penfield. Um, and they're based here. I'm sure Eric's familiar with them. Um, but they, um, you know, I pur purchased a, a jacket from them. I have literally worn it for, gosh, probably going on six years now. Um, and I last uh, winter, I ended up having the zipper um, start to kind of malfunction. And the jacket itself actually has two different mechanisms to close it. So it's got the zipper and it's also got some um, some buttons in the front. So I was like pretty lazy, didn't feel like going to the tailor. So I like went a whole season by just using the, the buttons. Um, and finally, my husband was like, okay, let's take, we have a few jackets that need to get repaired. So we found a tailor. Um, and I, we, we literally went into the tailor and he took a look at my zipper and said, first off, this is a really high quality zipper. Um, he was like, it's so high quality that I don't even think I could replace it with as good of a piece, um, just based on like what he had there. Um, and so he said, give me one second. And he actually, all he did is he took out a pair of pliers and bent something back into shape. Um, and there we go. My jacket was as good as new. Um, and I like to tell that story because I think 
Um, we, you know, especially here in, in the US, we don't place enough of a premium on getting things repaired, um, even getting like shoes resold. Um, I do think it's a challenge sometimes for people to find quality craftsmen that repair things. So I feel like that's a pretty big market opportunity. We're going to have to kind of go back to our roots. Um, but Eric, I wondered if you had any other tips on sort of prolonging um, the, the the outerwear that you have. Yeah, you know, it's 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 designed and, and you know constructed to be pretty low maintenance. You know, this is not something. I mean, I think something people don't realize is for a lot of uh, you know garments. Uh, up to 50% of the environmental impact of the garment happens in the use phase and in the, you know, the washing and drying, or if it's dry cleaning, I mean, that's, that's all environmental impact that the garment is having. And so for, you know, for our products, we design them to be pretty low, low maintenance. They don't, they don't require, they shouldn't require, you know, lots of washing and drying. In fact, I, I would suggest trying to avoid that. You can just sort of spot clean if, if needed, but um, it's certainly, they're, they're, you know, constructed to hold up in terms of the quality of the different, you know, uh, materials, the zippers, the snaps. Um, that's all. That's all backed by a lifetime guarantee in terms of the the quality of the construction. And then, you know, it's it's really just, you know, hopefully you get a lot of use out of it. You wear it hard, and then you know, hang it up to dry. If it gets a little wet, that's fine. It'll still be warm. But then when you get home, hang it up, air it out, let it dry. Don't don't store it uh, damp, I suppose. But you know, it's it's not. These aren't. These aren't uh, fussy things that require a lot of uh, a lot of uh, care. It's just you know treat it well, and it'll it'll serve you hopefully for many years to come. Um, cool. So I want to kind of go back to the uh, textiles and things we kind of covered uh, down a little bit, um, and so. Are there any other textile innovation um, um, news, things coming up, and especially in the outerwear um, section that you are excited about? We should be on the lookout for. Well, you know, we're we're learning a lot about this this category through you know as as we go. We're we're you know relatively young company. We're you know as I said, really excited about the partnership with 3M. There's a lot of innovation happening there, and we're trying to stay at the forefront of this. I mean, I think that the thing that we're trying to achieve and I mentioned even just the lining material going from this year 100% blue sign to um, what we'll have next year which is 100% recycled is you know really trying to take the uh, the virgin plastic which is you know a petroleum product out of out of our products you know we're, we're telling you these are these are products to get out and enjoy winter to celebrate winter and our mission is to keep the north cold we don't want to be, you know, supporting the fossil fuel industry and using, you know, new new petroleum in the products that we make. And and for a lot of the outdoor apparel industry, it, you know, at least historically, it's been a lot of it's been made from plastic. And so trying to get away from plastic as the input for these products and at least getting to 100% recycled, and then where we go from there, what the next generation will look like will be exciting to see, but we don't want to be making a product that runs in the materials counter to the mission of the company and, and actually contributes to imperiling the season that we're trying to get outside to celebrate and enjoy. So we want to make sure we're as aligned as possible. Awesome. Laura? Yeah, um, no, I, I think that's a great point. And I, I love that we are seeing more and more brands rise up to use recycled plastic. Um, I do, you know, we, we field a lot of questions from listeners around, um, you know, the impact of recycled plastic and whether or not it's like the perfect material. But one of the things we like to talk about on Good Together 
um, and really with Brightly in general, is that there is no, it's, there's no perfect, no, no perfection required um, to make a difference. And I think there's always going to be a spectrum of, um, you know, whether or not something is extremely high, um, harmful to the environment versus not at all. And so we like to try and support brands who are making a difference um, in ways that is ways that are innovative, uh, ways that um, we think are contributing to less waste. The more and more we do research in this field, um, the more I think we have to keep hammering home the point of less waste in general. So no matter what you're doing, um, you know, we should always be thinking about cutting down on trash and plastic. And I think in general, um, anything that helps support that is, is a great piece. Um, so I would, just, I, would just add, you know, I would just add to that. I mean, I think that's a really important point is no matter what materials innovations happen in the future, no matter every good decision we can possibly make as a company by, by operating, by existing, we are having an environmental impact and we are having a, we're creating a carbon footprint. We'll do everything we can to reduce that as much as possible, but it's there. And that's where, to me, this, the model that we've come up with of give a hundred per 10%. Now, however, a company wants to think about that, taking accountability for the negative because it's there and, and of course reducing it, but making sure that you are at least having a, a counterbalancing positive impact, if not hopefully a net positive impact. Um, that, that's, that's where to me, the accountability piece really comes in. It's not enough just to do less bad. You've got to make sure that the amount of good you're doing is hopefully tipping the scales in the right direction. Otherwise we're still all contributing to the problem. Yes, exactly. So what we always talk about on the podcast is, you know, um, we always promote like mindful consumption, but in the end, you know, not buying a new thing is always a better uh, environmental impact, no matter what, uh, you know, no matter what we sell. Um, I have a company that sells things, you know, and obviously as companies, we need to survive. But ultimately, I think uh, all ethical business founders, we kind of struggle with that. Thing. And um, yes, um, don't buy a new thing if you don't really have to. And um, if you want to have to buy something, definitely choose quality pieces that will last forever. Um, Laura, you want to get into our favorite three last questions of the episode? Yeah. So um, as, as the listeners know, we're trying to ask all of our guests now um, three questions that we think would be useful for people to understand. So Eric, I wondered if you could share one or two tips with our audience. Um, around living ethically. And this can be related to what we're talking about today, or if there's like interesting life hacks that you've come across, we'd love to know. Hmm. Well, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned the, uh, the, the transition that we made here at work from, um, you know, to, to hundred percent renewable energy as, as the source of power for our business and our offices. We actually, in, in my, for my family, we made the same switch at home recently. And actually, at least here in Minneapolis, it was incredibly easy. It was through our uh, utility Excel Energy, and it was we could just go online and, and make that change. So think about not just, again, reducing your um, maybe your personal energy consumption, but also where that where that energy comes from and maybe you know, see if that's an option to, to choose a, a renewable source of energy. But, you know, the, the the thing that I always say when I'm asked this question, because there's lots of good um, guides online of, of you know ways that individuals can reduce their impact. This is this is a problem that has been 
caused by businesses. It's been caused by companies. So I think you know the the, the two most powerful actions an individual can have, I think, are the the choices they make with their dollars, the 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 you know decisions of what companies they support and don't support. But then the, the biggest one, and it's, it's especially relevant in the year ahead, is to vote. And to if, if, if individuals will not solve this problem if if companies and if governments are not doing their part and really ultimately leading, because they're the ones that have the the impact at a macro level that that solving this problem in the next ten years, which is the window of opportunity that that I believe we have to to really. Uh, you know, turn the corner on this. It's it's not going to happen if if it's not led by companies and if it's not led by governments. And so, um, use your power as a voter. That's that's one of the greatest powers we have. Yeah, that's a great point. So use your power as a voter and then vote with your dollar. Uh, so talking about voting with your dollar, um, can you share with us maybe um, one of your favorite ethical brands or products? Maybe something you've discovered recently and why. Well, you know, I, I thought about this a little bit. You know, a company that I have really admired um, in a in a, a different category than us, but doing you know some really um, impressive things is the company Allbirds, the footwear company. Um, both in their you know their sourcing of materials, um, they've got these, this this great uh, innovation in the soles of their shoes to move away from petroleum products. I believe it's made from um, sugar cane, um, and then also that they've sort of similar to how we think about give 110%. They've launched a, a carbon fund uh, to really hold themselves accountable for their their climate impact. So I think it's 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 seeing, you know, companies that are doing both um, actions to reduce the, the, the negative side, reduce the environmental impact, but also then the accountability piece, I think is just so critical here um, to, to take accountability and ownership for what impact you are having and, and showing that you're having a net positive impact um, through, in their case, the, you know, the dollars that they're spending through this carbon fund. So, um, you know, definitely a company that I admire. I like their products and, uh, and I, and I like the people there and, um, you know, a company I'm proud to recommend. Yeah. We love Allbirds. <laughs> yeah, we love <laughs> She's Allbirds laughing at <laughs> Yeah. I, I think my favorite part, and I, I think like every other episode, they'll be saying that I, I like their open source technology, right. Of making their technology accessible to other brands. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, no, to not, they're not, I mean, they, they made this, this innovation, this breakthrough, but now they're trying to make it available because they, it's not about just sort of, uh, you know, owning it as a proprietary thing. It's about helping other companies improve their practices too. So I thought that was a great, a great uh, move on their part. Yeah, and I personally love the, in addition to open source, I love the transparency in um, supply chain that we're starting to see. Um, I think there have been, you know, so many questions around whether or not brands are truly making a difference um, when they when they say they claim to be. And so I think we talked a little bit about this with one of our past guests, um, but there's been, you know, a few companies that have come out that have said, hey, let's all start publishing our wages um, that we're paying our um, factory workers. And Obviously, like that type of information is usually a pretty closely guarded secret um, by brands, um, especially, you know, oftentimes even the supply chains are closely guarded secrets. I know um, some founders that we know that are starting up their own physical product companies oftentimes um, have a rough go at it uh, trying to find new producers of products because oftentimes those are held closely to the chest. Um, so I love that, you know, companies more and more are starting to come together to realize, to your point, like the vast majority of change is going to come from companies and corporations. So, you know, the, the, the more we can all do it together, the better. 
Um, so yeah, so the, the last question that we have for you um, is just, uh, we love to end on a positive note, of course. So we, we'd love for you to tell us um, really what, what excites you the most um, about the ethical and sustainable movement right now? Well, you know, I, I just, I view the environment and, and specifically climate in the next 10 years as the great challenge of our time, of our generation, of our lives. And what whatever I could be doing, um, I would want it to be contributing to that solution. And so whether someone is, you know, working in the apparel business or whatever your, whatever your business is, uh, I can't imagine a more worthy cause than contributing to trying to solve this challenge in the time that we have to solve it. I've got three little boys at home and they're my number one inspiration and motivation for trying to, um, have a positive impact and do whatever I can in, in, in my lifetime, but especially in these next 10 years. And so um, I think we have to be optimistic. We, we have to have a, a can-do spirit and we've got to you know, all work together to um, try to figure this out because the stakes couldn't be higher and we don't have a lot of time, but, but I believe we can do it. Or I, or I, you know, I, I guess I, I have to believe that we can do it. It'd be too um, depressing not to. And, and it's just, it's, it's fun to be in a fight that I think is, uh, big and challenging, but also exciting and, and hugely important. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. I love this note. Uh, definitely. We're all here. We're in it together. Um, yeah. And I think that's uh, all of the questions, right? We have for Eric. It is. Yeah. So Eric, we're, we're so thankful that you took the time to chat with us today. It's been quite a privilege. Um, we, you know, I think this is just, just a, such a pressing matter for most of us around wanting to um, you know, shop for good, shop better and shop for, for less. And so I think, um, you know, treating what we buy as almost gear. I just, I love that mentality. My husband's a huge gear nut and I always would just claim that he is, but I think maybe we should all become gear, gear nuts. <laughs> yeah. My marketing brain is thinking, how do you change consumers' <laughs> minds to that? Thanks to so that much, thing. Eric. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Bye. Thank you. joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And we're now live on YouTube. Just search for Good Together Podcast to get the video recording of this episode and more. While you're visiting, don't forget to join in on the conversation by leaving us a question through voicemail or giving us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the social channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.